Good. Well, um, really is lovely to be with you guys here this morning. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to come and to be asked to preach uh, to you guys God's word. Uh, my prayer really is for you guys that you would be encouraged, uh, that you feel challenged uh, by the word, that you would grow in your love for God as you listen to what God has to say to us all this morning through his word. The passage that I've been asked to preach on this morning is out of Genesis, and apparently as a church you've been making your way through the book of Genesis every, every autumn. You do a couple of chapters of the, of the book, and I've been asked to kick off uh, this series again for you this year. Uh, so we're going to read our text, and then we're going to jump straight into it. If you have your Bibles with you or a smartphone, uh, please open it to the very first book of Genesis, uh, page to chapter 18. I know that it says on the uh, form and the announcement, the handouts, at Genesis chapter 21, but I have asked for, for permission to um, give a little bit more context, and so we'll be preaching out of chapter 18 and chapter 21, because it's just really difficult to preach chapter 21 without the context of some of the other passages. I hope that that is okay, and I'm sorry to mess up the, the paperwork if that has done that. So chapter 18, uh, we're going to start reading from verse 6. Uh, to verse 15, and then we're going to page over a couple of pages in your Bible to chapter 21, and we'll read from verse 1 to 17. If you don't have your Bibles with you, I've put it up on the screen. I'm sure you could follow that way too. So, um, Genesis chapter 18. So Abraham hurried into the tent. Quick, he said, get three sears of of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf And gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set it before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They said to him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old in age, and Sarah was past that age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied, and she said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Chapter 21 and verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and she bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that even though this passage was written centuries ago, Father, it is still pertinent and relevant to us today. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would make it known to us, that you would um, help us to identify with it this morning, and that you would bring forth change in our hearts and in our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So this text this morning involves a man called Abraham, his wife Sarah, their son Isaac, and the real main player in this text is God. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is how Abraham, when God first appears to him in chapter 15, um, and says to him, you'll have a son, Abraham laughs at the very thought and idea that God would give him a son. It was not this kind of laugh that when someone tells you a joke and maybe you laugh and you think it's funny. Um, and the same goes for Sarah. When, he, when, when God reveals himself to her in chapter 17 and says, you will bear a son, she also laughs and she says, that's almost like ridiculous. It's this, not a laugh that maybe the Lord told her a joke and she was laughing, but it was rather this cynical kind of a laugh. It's, it's like when, um, if you're walking along Northumberland Street, Andy's walking along and he's, he's Claire and they, they're heading off to uh, McDonald's to get a cheap uh, burger and this guy in a nice suit says to, says to Andy, hey Andy, uh, tomorrow you're going to get a million pounds. You, you kind of see that smirk on his face. I can see some of you. There's like a little bit of a snicker. He's like, really? It's not really funny, but it's kind of like, a, yeah, right. Yeah, and I don't really quite believe what you are, what you're saying. It's a laugh of, of unbelief. It's a laugh of, can this really be true? Can God really bless me with a son? Uh, and the funny thing is that he blesses them with a son whose name means laughter. Laughter is a, a necessity for life. If you, if you can't laugh, you can't really keep on living. You can't live without laughter. I was at a wedding yesterday, and because I was preaching on, on laughter, I was just very aware of how many people were, were laughing around me. And I know laughter is a, is a, well, weddings are really joyous times, but I was just very aware and mindful of how many people we're laughing around the um, room. You know that laughter is the only thing that you cannot fake. You can fake a smile. You can tell your brain or, or tell your brain to think I'm happy or I will, and so therefore you smile. But you could be faking a smile really, really easy. It's really difficult to fake a laugh. You know, someone will be able to know straight away that's fake. Like you really aren't laughing at this point. Some fun, quirky facts about laughter is that you laugh up to 30 times more when you're in the company of others. Who says that community is not good? Frequent, wholehearted laughter actually helps your body fight off disease. So laugh more at yourself. It's pretty good. Some studies have shown that laughing for 15 minutes can actually add around two days to your overall lifespan. I mean, I, I don't know how they kind of get these sort of results, but we believe most of the stuff we read on the internet, don't we? The average person laughs about 13 times a day. 
13 times a day the average person laughs. And the point and the climax really of this text is that when God comes into your life, he brings a laughter that is filled with joy, not unbelief or cynicism that we saw that Sarah has in verse 6 of chapter 21. She says, God has brought me laughter. God has brought me laughter. And what God actually did in that moment was that he transformed her bitter, cynical laughter into a like, kind of like, you're right, I don't really believe that, into this real joyous laughter where there is hope. And that is where I, 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 I hope that we'll be able to land this morning in our text. We'll be able to take you along in this journey and see how, how Sarah was taken from this place of cynical, bitter laughter to a low to a laughter that's filled with joy and hope. So I want us to notice three things this morning. The first one is that, um, is that how God comes to meet with Sarah and not with Abraham. I want us to see that in the text, that God has come to meet with Sarah and not with Abraham. The second point is that I want us to see how God came, how God appeared to Sarah, and why does he come and appear to Sarah. And then we'll land in kind of looking at, so now how does God come and how does God appear to us today? How does he replace our cynical laughter with lasting, joy-filled laughter? So the first point is that he came for her. Some background information about this is that God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a new people. I'm going to make you a new society. I'm going to make your descendants, you know, will, will, will inherit this land. I'm, 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 um, out of your descendants will come the salvation of the whole world. And in order to do that, I'm going to give your wife Sarah a son. But this promise only comes to pass 25 years after God had spoken it to Abraham. Now, they were, when this promise was originally spoken to them, they were probably in their late 60s, early 70s. They definitely weren't getting any younger when they received this promise from the Lord. As a side note, you'll see on the screen, the girl pop up on the screen. Currently, in this day and age, the oldest woman to ever give birth is this lady, Dalinja Kuwar. She was uh, 72 years old when she had this baby. Not to be crude, but they, the baby wasn't made through the old school methods. They needed external help to, in order for her to have this child. So you can imagine when it comes to Abraham and Sarah, when they first received this promise that they would have a child in their late 60s and early 70s, they're probably thinking, yeah, right, I mean, that's, that's okay. I mean, that would be great. Thank you for this promise. But now we're in our 90s. Now we're in our hundreds. And on this particular day in Genesis chapter 18, these three strangers rock up to Abraham at his tent. And it's not even immediately apparent that one of them is the Lord. But rather, in good Bedouin style, what Abraham does is he exercises hospitality towards them. They start rushing around, they start making them feel at home, they get them to sit down, rest your weary feet, refresh yourself. Abraham feeds them the finest food and, 
And just inside the tent is Sarah, close to the entrance. And she is, in a sense, listening just to the conversation that is happening outside of the tent. And in verse 10 of chapter 18, we see that the Lord reveals himself at that point to Abraham. It's not just three men, but it is one of them is the Lord. He says, I will return next year and Sarah will bear a son. So why does the Lord appear to Abraham and to Sarah a second time? He has already appeared to them 25 years before. He appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you a son. Your descendants will inherit the land. Why 25 years later does he come back and appear to them and say this promise to them? Again, it can't just be, well, they were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah and they were going to go and destroy the city. And so they thought, well, we're en route. There's Abraham and Sarah. There's their tent. Why don't we just stop by and, you know, have some goat's milk, have a chat, shoot the breeze, and then we'll go on and to destroy the city. The God is never that flippant. He's always intentional in what he does. So it can't be that they were just passing by. For me, as I look at the text, I think the reason why God appeared to Abraham and Sarah a second time was for Sarah's sake and not for Abraham. He did not come to speak to Abraham. He came to speak to Sarah. So why? Why does he come and speak to Sarah after he had already given the promise to Abraham 25 years before that? The information that Sarah hears is not new information She knows all about this God. She knows all about this promise from him. So why is God going through all of this trouble to appear to them again? I think that it's for this reason. That it's just not good enough to know God and his promises through someone else. It's just not good enough to know about God and his promises through someone else. She lived the promises of God that he gave to her husband Abraham 25 years before that. And what happened? She said to her husband Abraham, sleep with Hagar, have a child, nothing is happening here at the moment. God appears to her, I feel that, because she was living through the promises and her relationship was all based on through Abraham. She believes in God, but she doesn't really believe God and his promises. She knows about God, but she doesn't really know God. Everything that she knows about God has been through Abraham, and that's just not good enough. You've got to have your own encounter. You've got to have your own dialogue. You've got to have your own experience of God. You cannot do it through somebody else. I was raised in a Christian household. My dad was an elder of a local church. I grew up praying most days. I read my Bible most days. Uh, I was even baptized when I was 16. But it wasn't until I was about 23 years old in a church service one Sunday after I'd hit absolute rock bottom in my life that I hear the voice of God, not audibly, but metaphorically, knocking at the door of my life point is that at that moment I needed to open up the door it was not just good enough that I believed Jesus all my life and that I had been around Jesus all of my life because up until that point 
what I had really realized was that I was really on the wrong side of the door. But that morning, as simply as I knew, I, I opened the door of my life to God. I, I said, I'm sorry. I said, God, would you please forgive me? Today, I drew a line in the sand. It is this far and no further. So what does that mean for you and all for us this morning? You see, like Sarah, she knew all about this God. I, she, um, I prayed regularly. I went to church all the time, but I realized I had never had my own personal encounter with God. My relationship with Jesus was through my parents. And it was like I was on the other side of the door. I had never made him central to my own life. And so at that time, I brought him in. I opened up that door. It's not enough that you know about God. You need to have your own personal encounter with him. It's not enough to try and and relate to God through somebody else, through your friends. It has to be your own experience. If maybe you're here this morning and your spouse, your partner has brought you along and you attend church, but you You say, you know, if someone had to ask you about being a Christian, you might say, yes, I am a Christian. My wife goes to church every Sunday and I attend with her. And you've never had your own personal encounter this morning. God is knocking on the door of your life. Will you open up that door to him this morning? So we see that God came for Sarah. The reason why he came a second time was for Sarah. The second point that I want to have a look at is that how does God come to her? How does he come to her in that moment? There couldn't be a more contrasting way in which God appears to Abraham in comparison to Sarah. Let's never put God in a box and place our own experiences of God upon other people. On the screen you'll see I drew two comparisons between Genesis 15 when God appears to Abraham and Genesis chapter 18 when when he appears to them again. In Genesis chapter 15, God comes in the darkness of night. After the sun has gone down, he's making a covenant with Abraham. There's dead animals everywhere and he appears um, with this passing of this torch in 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 in, in the dark. At this moment, he appears to Abraham and Sarah in the bright noonday sun. Genesis chapter 15, he appears in this smoking torch and fiery pot coming through, like I said, pieces of dead animals. Here he appears as a traveler with sore feet who is so accessible and so familiar that they don't even know that it is God who's with them. In chapter 15, when God showed up, Abraham felt this crushing dread of the presence of God. Here in chapter 18, God is so gentle. And so in verse 12, when Sarah laughs at the promises of God, but it's, it's not what it looks like on the surface. Rather, like I had said, it's this self-hating, bitter kind of laughter. In verse 12 it says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, And my Lord is old. Shall I have the pleasure? And that word for for worn out 
in the Hebrew is the word for useless. It's the meaning for good for nothing. It's a negative, self-hating kind of word. And the word for pleasure is not what you might think it means. Maybe you think when you read this text, you're saying, although I'm old and I wonder if I'll have the pleasure one day of having a child. But if you think it's a pleasure to have a child, well then, you must be a guy. Because <laughs> she's not talking about having a child as being pleasurable. I do not know a woman who has given birth that was filled with this pleasure-filled experience. I've been at all three births of my three sons, and I can certainly tell you it was not the most pleasurable experience for my wife. There was lots of screaming and pain and blood, and it was not this such a pleasure. It's just so, that's not what Sarah is saying at this point. The Hebrew word for pleasure there means sexual pleasure. What she's saying in that, in that point, and I want us to see it, because I want us to see the place, how despondent she is when she makes this comment. She says with this smirky kind of um, laugh, she goes, I'm, I'm utterly worn out. I'm useless. I'm good for nothing. We don't even have sex anymore. My husband hasn't touched me in years. And you say I'm going to have a son. That's, the, that's what she's saying as she is in the tent. And look at the way in which God responds to her in that moment. It's so different to the dramatic, fiery, awesome voice that God comes when, he's, when he speaks to Abraham in chapter 15. Saying, I am the Lord your God. And Abraham is quivering in his boots, it's not that kind of way. Rather, God responds so gently. And after she laughs at him, he doesn't say, How dare you laugh at me, you humanoid speck of dirt, I'll smite you, you know. No, he rather restates her objection and it's void of all the nasty things that she has just said about herself. God says, why did Sarah laugh and say, I will really have a child when I'm old? And Sarah said nothing as nice as that while she's in the tent. But God just gently reinstates it and he combs out all the nasty terminology. And he just reassures her again with this thing of there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will come back and you'll have a child. Amazing, just this gentle approach in which God comes to her. So, what's going on here? You can imagine, um, you cannot imagine two more different appearances from, chap from chapter 15 to chapter 18. Why would God be so different with Sarah compared to Abraham? For me, simply the answer is you cannot put God in a box, and God would never put you. In a box, your experience and your, your meeting with the Lord is different to the next person. God never works off templates. There is an infinite variety in which God comes to his people. We have to be very careful that we never formulaic and say and imprint our experience of God upon others. 
So we've come to see that God comes for Sarah. We've seen also how he comes to Sarah, that it is different from from chapter 15. And now we're going to see how he comes into her life. Why does he come to her at that point? And for me, this is the real, the heart of the narrative. And God comes because he wants to transform her cynical, bitter laughter to a laughter that is filled with joy. He asks her in in verse 13 of chapter 18, why did Sarah laugh like that? Why is her laughter so bitter and, and cynical? And he answers his question in the form of another question by saying in verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Once again, the Hebrew word that he uses there is the word for, for wonder. He's, it's, it's the word that gets used over and over in the Psalms when it says, tell of his wonders. Tell of his great and mighty deeds. God is literally saying to her that time, is there anything too wonderful for me? He's saying Sarah's laughter is filled with bitterness. Her laughter is filled with cynicism because she is void of wonder. Because she is void of wonder that she she thinks it's impossible. It's a joke. What does he mean when he said that she is void of wonder? It's it's kind of difficult to define what, what wonder is. So I'll try and explain it for us and give us more of an analogy. If any of you have any young kids, if you have had young kids, or if you've ever been a young kid, I'm sure that kind of covers all of the bases here this morning. But if you've ever visited or been somewhere that you've maybe read about in a book, or you have seen in a movie, or you've heard about and you eventually go there, like if you go to the zoo, I don't know what your zoos are like. I haven't been to a zoo in England um, yet. Um, I've been to the zoo many times in, in South Africa. If your zoos are anything like your circuses, then I'm not sure what your zoos are like. Because our circuses in South Africa, I've got animals. We've got tigers, uh, lions, um, elephants uh, in our circuses. When I came to the circus here a couple of years ago, all I just saw was a couple of people dancing around and doing flick flacks. And I was like, where's the elephants? Like... Aren't there any dogs to do tricks? Isn't there tigers? No, nothing. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a letdown. You know? I was, definitely wasn't left with wonder. But if you've ever been to the zoo, we took our kids back to South Africa two years ago, and we went to the zoo to go and show them. And our, our zoos, are, they are huge, and they have every single animal that you can think of. There's lions, leopards, cheetahs, uh, pumas, jaguars, um, elephants, giraffes, a buffalo, um, crocodiles, alligators, even a koala bear. So that's like there's, there's everything that, is, that you can possibly think of a wild animal. It's there. And when we got there, the kids were like, we want to go and see the lions. Take us to go see the lions. When we arrived at the lions area, if you want to call it that, you know, all of the, these lions are there and there's, they're snarling and growling and whatever else. And the kids, are, their eyes are like wide as saucers. And they're all like, wow, wow. And we kind of, as adults, arrive and go, okay, lions, um, where's the zebras, you know? Let's move on. We're like, we've been here for two minutes. Let's 
kind of move on. And the kids are like, wow, wow. Why is, it, why is that the case? Because when we are so young, it's so easy to fill ourselves with wonder. And I speak to, when I, when I tell my young kids a story on their bed and I, I put all the actions into it and I, and I read them the story that could just be five pages long really, my four-year-old is like sitting on the edge of the bed and he's like, wow, like do it again, do it again. It's very different with my 12-year-old when I sit in his bed and say, well, let me read you um, a story before you go to bed. And he's like, uh, could you stop? Because it's just <laughs> embarrassing, you know. So you don't have to use all those funny accents and he's... It's, it's much more difficult to fill him with wonder. The older we get, the harder it is to fill our hearts with wonder. The more and more difficult it is to impress us. And as adults, what we try and do is we try and fill our hearts with wonder through maybe the books that we read or the movies that we go and watch. But these often are very short-lived, momentary glimpses of wonder. I watched Dunkirk the other night, and as we drove home, I was filled with wonder and, and awe at the sound effects and the bombs, and it felt like I was, I was there in a sense. But by the next morning when I got up, it was like another day, and the wonder that was in me for that, moment, for that time was very short-lived. But the gospel is this. That in the Bible it tells us that God has a story for us. It's the ultimate story because it's true. And if you believe it, your whole life will be filled with wonder. A wonder that will last. Not a wonder that wears off as you drive home from the cinema or as you close the book at the end of the night. It's a wonder that will completely fill your life with meaning. So what is this story? Well, look at what Sarah says in verse 7 of chapter 21. She says, God has brought me laughter. What does she mean, God has brought me laughter? Hasn't she been laughing her whole life? What does it mean that God has brought me laughter? The fact that she can talk about the laughter as something that has been brought to her He's saying it's something that she has not had before. That the laughter that she has now is not the laughter that she has had before. It's not this bitter, cynical laughter that she had. It's a laughter that is filled with wonder. And where does this wonder come from? Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Where does this wonder come from? In verse 1 of the of chapter 21. In the NIV it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. It was the grace of God that came into her life, that filled her life with wonder. It was the grace of God that overcame the impossibility of her situation. You see, she knew that there was a, a greater power out there, but she didn't See how it could possibly come in through a person of promise. How could it come through Isaac, whose name means laughter? And therein lies the very key that brought the power of the impossibility into her situation. And she laughed. 
Why? Because she had the laughter of grace in her life. It was God's grace to her that brought her laughter. Without wonder, there is this cynical, bitter laughter that tries to get rid of our despondency. Or tries to get rid of this nervous laughter that tries to get rid of our anxieties. And at this point in her life, she is filled with wonder. She can say, I'm laughing in a way that I have never laughed before. Now she has the joy that she was lacking her whole life. Her whole life has changed. So how can you and I get this joy? How do we get this joy that Sarah had? Isn't that the question that is on all of our lips as we look at Sarah? Maybe you say this morning, well, that's great for Sarah. You know, she's filled with wonder after she received this manifestation of the promise of God. But how does that work out for me now in my situation? How can this joy come into my life now? For Sarah, it was this son of promise born into her life and into the world through the grace of of God. What is it for us today? Remember what I said that, that what God offers in the Bible is the ultimate story. The story on which all other stories are based. The fictional stories that fill you with wonder for just a little while, but no adult's heart can really seem to hold on to that wonder for long enough. God says, I have a story. It's the ultimate story. It's the story that if you believe it and take it into your life, it will fill you with a non-naive wonder. It's not a story of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. That's just a story that points towards the greater story. Centuries later, an angel shows up to another woman. And this angel says to her that she too will bear a child. And how does she respond in that moment? She responds in the same way, how can this be? Which is pretty much a laugh. This woman is just as skeptical as Sarah was. And if you thought that it was impossible for Sarah to have a son at 90 years old, with a husband who is a hundred years old, how much more impossible do you think it is for Mary to have a son like the angel said that she would? She's a virgin. She is not married. She does not have a husband. And when Mary says to the angel, how can this be? The angel replies in the same way. He says, nothing is impossible for God. Why does Luke, in that passage, show us this parallel between the birth of Jesus and the birth of Isaac? It's because Jesus is the true Isaac. Jesus is the ultimate son of promise. Jesus is the ultimate one in whom we hear the laughter of God's grace triumphing over the impossibilities of our situation. Don't look at Sarah and say, 
If I want something impossible, all that I need to do is pray for it because you would really miss the importance and the crux of this text. There is something far greater that it's promised here in the story that we read this morning. The promise is not fertility. The promise is the ultimate Isaac, Jesus, who came to deal with sin and death itself. You know what is impossible? That despite how you live today, we've all been adopted into God's family. Despite how you live today, all of our sin has been forgiven. Jesus was living in a world of perfect laughter. But he chose to enter this world and become a man of sorrows. On the cross, he cried out to God as he was forsaken by his father. On the cross, he lost his divine laughter and he received the sorrow and the mourning that we all deserve so that we this morning can have the laughter that Sarah says that she now has. Jesus took our place. Jesus took the condemnation for our sin so that we can have and that we can know forgiveness. He took our death that we deserve so that we can have life. And that church is the story within the great story that we read this morning. Let us not just see Jesus as this wonderful God that if we emulate, we will be blessed, but rather let's see him as the true Isaac. The one who took God's frown so that we could have a smile. The one who lost laughter so that we could have it. When we do that, our lives will be filled with wonder that never fades and laughter will be transformed from bitter, cynical laughter to a laughter of grace that never goes away because it's not based on your performance and what you have done. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to ask us to stand, if you would please. Could I ask if we could just close our eyes for a moment? The reason why I ask us to close our eyes, there's nothing fancy or spiritual about it. It just helps to maybe block out the distractions that are happening around you and helps you just to listen and to hear what God is wanting to say to you in this moment. If you don't feel comfortable in closing your eyes, please do not. But if this morning you are... You're like Abraham and Sarah. You're filled with this cynical, bitter laughter at the promises of God. Because the things that you thought would have or should have come to pass have not. And this morning, God would like to fill you afresh with his spirit. Knowing that Jesus is better. He's the all-fulfilling Isaac. Then this morning as we sing, why don't you respond? 
Why don't you respond? If this morning as you've listened, and maybe this is your first time in church, maybe this is your fifth time in church and someone has brought you along, but for, for quite some time you have scoffed and laughed at this Jesus Christian thing. But this morning your heart has been moved, you've been stirred inside. That's God. He's speaking to you this morning. He's saying to you that you are on the wrong side of the door. The Bible says he stands at the door and he knocks. All you need to do this morning in the most simple possible way that you can is that you open that door. You respond. If that is you this morning, please chat to one of the leaders here or the person that brought you with about what it means to open up that door to your life and allow God to replace the cynical laughter about who he is and Christianity with his joy-filled, long, everlasting laughter. Maybe this morning you've been a Christian for ages, but what you've allowed is this cynicism towards the things of God. These things have kind of crept into your life. And as you stand here this morning and as you've heard the word preached, in your heart you know that you have scoffed and and laughed in a cynical way. That you really don't truly believe, is there anything impossible for God? Is there anything too wonderful for God? This morning God wants to replace that with wonder. As we look to Jesus, as we look to the risen King, seated on high, King of kings, Lord of lords, Lamb that was slain for our sin and our iniquity, has come to replace that. And God, I pray for every single one of us here this morning as we respond to your word. Forgive us, Lord, for times that we have been cynical and we've scoffed and laughed at your promises. Or maybe we've grown weary and we've made Ishmael's out of it, Lord. I thank you, God, that you are the greater Isaac, that your laughter is not short-lived, but it is everlasting. And that you have come to give us a joy that will not fade, a wonder that is not short-lived. God, we pray for all of these things in your son's name. Amen. God bless you all.